us online, a very warm welcome to you guys as well as we begin our journey through the Easter story. Oh, I suppose we started on Sunday, we found Sunday, didn't we? As we continue our journey through the Easter story, tonight looking at the beautiful goodbye, uh, as we're looking at the final moments that Jesus shared with his disciples before he was arrested and taken to the cross. So we're going to open our time together by watching a quick video, and then we're going to jump into it. So would you turn your attention to the screens? Tell the boys I said hi, okay? Yep, I'll do that. See you soon. Excuse me? Huh? See you soon? Yeah. Can you promise that? I don't think you can promise that. I'm sorry, what? You said see you soon, but you don't really know that. I mean, you can't promise it. We can hope. Hope to see you soon is probably more appropriate. Okay. You get what I'm saying, right? You can't say see you soon because you just don't know. You can't possibly know. I guess it's why I hate goodbyes. I personally avoid them at all costs. Even when I hear someone start to say goodbye, well, I've been known to cork my hand over a few mouths. And see you soon. Give me a break. I'm gonna leave now. It's just that no one can keep that kind of promise. That is, no one except Jesus. He made a promise to come back and he kept it. Even so, I wonder how Jesus felt at the Last Supper. He knew it then, that night, that he was saying a goodbye of sorts. When he broke bread and said, this is my body, was he thinking about all that his disciples would face in the coming days? Did they remember all that he had taught them? And what about the disciples? When their teacher, their friend, lifted the cup and said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. While they didn't understand that Jesus was about to shed his blood so their sins would be forgiven, it still had to have the feel of a goodbye meal. It's interesting. Jesus chose to say a lot of things that night, but one thing he didn't say, goodbye. Because Jesus knew something else his disciples didn't yet understand. It wasn't really goodbye. Not only would he see them again in three days' time, he would see them throughout eternity in heaven. It wasn't a goodbye. It was a promise. understand that since we don't know what tomorrow brings, we might be unable to say, see you soon. However, God knows what tomorrow brings. And not just tomorrow, he also knows what infinity brings. We might say this came into play on that night that we refer to as Morning Thursday, when Jesus met with his disciples for the Last Supper. The Last Supper is actually a bit of a relative term. It may have been the last time that Jesus would eat with his disciples before going to the cross, but it was not the last supper that Jesus and his followers had for all time. Even so, let's take a closer look at that last supper 
and see what the disciples could understand and how it speaks to us. Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John chapter 13, verse 1. Though the twelve would be unaware of what awaits them in the hours ahead, Jesus knows. The disciples have likely not considered Jesus' death and would fully expect where Jesus is concerned to see him later. The day of Jesus' supper with his closest companions has arrived. The Passover is being celebrated. This meal is meant to remind the Israelites of how God freed them from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus has a special and memorable meal in mind. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Matthew 26, 17 to 19. The disciples don't know where they're going. However, Jesus knows. Specifically, Jesus gives them precise instructions concerning what to do that day, and they do it. Have you ever thought about this passage and the logistics of it? Did Jesus go ahead without the disciples to this unnamed man and make an appointment? Had the man been given a dream that this would happen? However, like the disciples on that Thursday before Good Friday, we are called to trust that Jesus has made reservations for us. Not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. John chapter 14 verses 1 to 2. So later that night, Jesus tells his disciples he has not only planned a table for their supper, but he has prepared a place for them in eternity with him. In their first century culture, it was common for parents with sons to have their adult children and their spouses move into the family home after their wedding. This would often require adding to their present structure, preparing a place just for them. Jesus draws on this familiar image to assure his disciples, that's the twelve then, and us today, that he has prepared our place with him in eternity. Not just a place, the place, with him in eternity. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Matthew 26, 26 to 29. That night, Jesus sits down to partake of the Passover meal. 
a meal that actually tells the story of his eventual sacrifice and our story of redemption through him. While we look back on these words with grateful hearts, it had to be somewhat confusing for the disciples. With the words Jesus uses to describe the bread and the wine, we see Jesus offer himself as the meal, his body, his blood. Possibly the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3.16, points us to the reality represented here. So loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John chapter 3 verse 16. The action of love, God giving his Son, is a picture of the provision of God. He has always provided for his children a place in a garden, freedom from slavery, victory over enemies and now a saviour from sins. This night would not be the first time that Jesus sought to help his followers understand God's provision is found in him. The bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John chapter 6, verse 33 to 35. We now come to a time to share in the same meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on this night. Josh, take it away. Thanks, Angus. Well, I, I want to echo Angus's welcome to you all. If we've not met before, my name's Josh. I'm the, the pastor here. Uh, at the church, uh, Gawley Uniting Church, and it's, it's wonderful for those of you that are part of our regular church family to join us as a part of this gathering tonight, uh, but also those of you that are visiting with us and those of you joining us online whenever and wherever you are joining us. I'm grateful uh, that you could share in this time together and for those of you gathered, gathered in the room to share in this special meal that we have prepared. It's if you're not familiar with uh, Holy Communion, what it is, 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 is it's a meal that we share as a church. And by sharing it together, it's, it's a sign. It points to a truth about the world, a truth about how things are and a truth about what we believe. It's a sign of the reality of our faith. And we've heard tonight that that first Passover meal that well, it wasn't the first one that they had celebrated together, Jesus and his disciples. Far from it. In Jewish culture, they celebrated the Passover meal every single year. It was one of the festivals that God had commanded of them, and to do so was to celebrate the faithfulness of God in times past. It was to celebrate and remember the way that God had delivered the Israelite people from slavery, Egypt hundreds of years of slavery. And if you've been around the church for any length of time, or even if you haven't, you know the story of the Prince of Egypt, of Moses, and the, and the plagues, and the way that one after another, God humbled uh, the gods of the Egyptian nation. One after another, he humbled their faith to prove that he was God. But the final act was asking his Followers, his, his, his nation, Israel, to do something very strange. 
we read back over it and we go, oh yeah, it makes sense. But no, it doesn't. This is what he asked of them. He said, I want you to sacrifice a lamb or a young goat when you sacrifice it. And then I want you to put some of the blood from the sacrifice on the doorposts of your house, on either side and over the top. And we act like that's normal. That's not normal. Blood makes a terrible finishing product. Always has, always will in that regard. Perpetuates flies, all sorts of carry on like that. It wasn't a normal thing in that regard. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but God asked them to do it because it was a sign that they trusted Him. It was a sign that didn't make any sense with what He promised would come next. And He said they had to eat some unleavened bread as well. And But by doing those two things, He invited the Israelite nation to trust Him. And that that night, after they had celebrated that simple thing, and after they had done what he had asked of them, Scripture teaches us the angel of death came through and took the firstborn males from the nation of Egypt, killed them all. And that seems like a really tragic thing to have happen. But it was a catalytic moment because Pharaoh lost his son, and that's what it required for Pharaoh to say, okay, I've had enough. You can take your people and go. And it was this deliverance that they celebrated that night with that meal. God's faithfulness in times past. But in that moment, as they celebrated it, to be honest, they didn't feel particularly free. For they were not free. They were a nation under slavery of a different side, under occupation of a different style, under the occupation of Rome. Yet, as they celebrated the meal, they celebrated the hope for the future that God would deliver them once again. And He did. But He did it in a completely different way to what they expected. And it began with this meal. It began when Jesus completely reclassified what was on the table. He took the bread that was on the table and after giving thanks for it, Scripture teaches us that He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. When you eat this, eat it in remembrance, not of the past, but in remembrance of of me, of, of Jesus. And in the same way, later on in the meal, he took a cup that was on the table. And he said, this cup... is a sign of the new covenant sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Now, it seems strange that you could go to a a celebration meal and make that meal about you. It's like going to someone else's birthday and making it about you. That seems a bit rude, doesn't it? I remember, no, it's a digression. It doesn't matter. I'm going to talk about a kid's cartoon, but that's just my stage of life. Um, but he made, this, this, he made this meal that was about God and God's faithfulness. Suddenly he made it about himself. And for anyone sitting there, that wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense. But we, with the, with the gift of hindsight, 
get to see this meal for what it is. We get to see that it was Jesus pointing to two significant things that needed to happen so that the whole world could be delivered from slavery. Because I don't know if you guys realize it or not, but you and I, Scripture is so clear about this, that we all sin and fall short of God's glory, that we are all under the rule and reign of the things that we don't want to do with our life. Anyone here's day go exactly as they want it to all the time? No. Does anyone do stuff that they hate that they do? And you wish you didn't, but you do it anyway? You're possible. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I do. Well, <laughs> Paul and I will just hang out, and in our imperfection, you guys can just chill out doing what you do. No, it's a, it's a human reality. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7, he writes that I, I do what I do not want to do, but it's not me that does it. It's the sin that lives in me that does it. And friends, this meal symbolizes that reality for all of us, but it symbolizes a deliverance from that reality. Now, if, if you're new or you're visiting and, and you've got no idea about faith or anything like that, then this might f- sound a little bit strange. And you go, well, I don't know what to do with all of this. But this paints the picture of where we are as humanity. But it also paints the picture of what Jesus did to help. And he did everything. He did all that was required. That we might be delivered from, saved from, set free from the things in this world that hold us down, keep us a slave, keep us in bondage. We don't need to worry about that stuff anymore. Why? Because we are set free through what Jesus did on the cross. His body given, a death that only He could bear, a sinless death, And blood shed, blood that became a whole different type of Passover lamb to what they had been used to using. Instead, it was a blood that would forgive all of sin for all of time, to pay that debt. And so we as followers of Jesus, when we eat this bread together, when we drink this cup together, what we do is we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ. We proclaim that that it needed to happen. We lament that it needed to happen, but we are grateful that it did for what it gave to us. But more than that, we remember that He is raised to life again. Now, it's Thursday. The disciples, we come to Friday. A whole lot of stuff happens on Friday, which is not good good news in, in and of itself. And then we're left in a liminal space until Sunday. But you and I, we know the end of the story, don't we? That Jesus is raised to life. And so when we celebrate this meal, we remember his death and we celebrate his resurrection every single time. And we proclaim it to be true. And when we do this, we share it with Christians across time and across space. How cool is that? That there were Christians in the first century some two, yeah, about 1,900 years ago that celebrated this meal. Similar to us, probably slightly less formal, I suspect, but just like this. How cool is that? That we get to be a part of that tradition. 
We get to be part of that movement. It is the only organization to have ever existed that is still around. It's outlasted everything. It's going to outlast Microsoft and Apple. The church, my friends, is what we get to be a part of. How cool is that? So tonight, I've talked enough. Tonight is the open invitation to share in this, this evening. And we've gone a little bit more generous than you normally get on a Sunday morning. You normally get a little white cube of bread. It's, hey darling, and that's great. But tonight, because it's a special night, we wanted to go a little bit more than that. So there's a bigger chunk of bread for you to partake in if you wish. It's there, and there's a bigger cup of juice than you would normally, than the three meals that you normally get on a Sunday. Because this is a celebration. It's all right. This is a celebration. And the Passover was a celebration. And so it will be for us tonight as well. So I'm going to invite you to come forward, and it's just going to be at this table right here. So you can receive the bread, and then to save me trying to move that table, we're just going to pick up the cups from over there. (laughs) And then eat the bread on your way back to your seat. Hold on to the cup, and we're going to drink that one together once everyone has received it. So the bread is received and broken, and the cup of Christ is received and freely given for us. So all has been prepared. In this church, we have an open table. What that means is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome at this table. If you love the Lord, you're welcome at this table. If you're exploring faith and you don't quite know how all this fits together, but you want to know more, there's something within your heart that is stirring you are welcome at this table. But if you are not sure and you want to just experience this moment for what it is, then feel free to just let this moment be a moment of stillness where you are. But as I invite you forward, would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of this table and all that it means for us. That you would give everything your son for that we are truly grateful and Lord we know that in our journey we fail to live up to this glorious standard of your goodness And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for the times that we fail to love. Forgive us for the times that we put other things in front of you, that we worship, that we give greater worth in our life and greater focus to things and gifts and and all the good stuff you place in our life. But ultimately, it's not meant to be the center. And we put it there sometimes. Lord, forgive us for those times. Set us free. And Lord, we are so grateful that your scriptures say that when we confess our sins, that we are cleansed, forgiven, set free, cleansed of all unrighteousness. And for that, we say thanks be to God. Why don't you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are all yours, now and forever. Amen. Well, loving Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the gift of this meal. May it serve as an ever-present reminder of all that you have done in our life, all that you are doing in the world, but also all that you're calling us to proclaim to the world that desperately needs some hope, always has, but definitely seems to need it right now. So, Lord, would this be part of our ever-present witness to the world you've called us to serve. In your name we pray. Amen. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, 34-35. Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet. And he follows the act with these words. Love one another. It's not a request, it's not a suggestion, but in the language of the day, this was an explicit command. He knows they are about to have a reason to lose faith, to lose hope, and to lose love for others. So Jesus is preparing his followers, his disciples, for a time they don't see coming. And here, just as he gave specific instructions for that last meal, Jesus gives a clear command, love one another. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. John verse 10. Jesus personalises this command. He will literally do what he had told his disciples in John chapter 10 within hours. He will personalize the command to love others by laying down his own life on behalf of them and on behalf of us, on behalf of all of us. We hear this clearly in Jesus' words from the cross found in Luke chapter 23. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Luke 23, 33 to 34a. Have you ever stopped to wonder who the them are in the passage? It seems pretty obvious that it would be the Roman soldiers who were nailing Jesus to the cross. We could also assume that it's the people who called for his execution, not knowing that they were seeking to strike down the Son of God. But the words of Jesus, our Saviour, on that hill so so long ago are meant for us as well. Those of us who are like sheep that have gone astray. Those of us who seem to know the right thing to do, But in the end, sometimes it just leads to death. Those of us who are helpless, hopeless, and spiritually homeless. And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. John chapter 14, verse 3. In the video we watched at the start, if you recall, there was some debate concerning whether it was appropriate to say, see you soon. However, there is no debate on the words of Jesus Christ. We know this. Jesus has gone to prepare a place just for you, and he will come back to take you there. Jesus assures us, sooner or later, we will definitely see him again. So would you pray with me? And then we're going to sing one final song to close our time together. Loving God, we thank you for your promise and for your sacrifice. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And Father, we thank you that your words are true. God, when you said that you will come back, Father, we know that you will. We know that we will see you soon. Father, we're grateful that you prepare a place for us. Just as you prepared a place for this Passover meal, you prepared a place for us in your house with you for eternity. So, Father, tonight we come before you with grateful hearts. We say thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight, everyone. If you're joining us online, thank you very much. And can we just shout out the Awakening Youth tonight for doing a great job reading those Bible readings? Fantastic job, guys.